Chapter Twenty Nine of Devlin the Barber by B. L. Fargin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. So startled was I by this revelation that I jumped to my feet in a state of uncontrollable agitation. What I should have done I cannot say, but the direction of events was not left in my hands. Simultaneously with my movement of astonishment, a piercing scream rang through the house. I was standing now by the chair in which Mr. Kenneth Dowsett was sitting in his trance, and I observed a change pass over his face. The scream had pierced the veil in which his waking senses were enshrouded. Devlin also observed this change, and he said to me hurriedly, "'Go upstairs and see what is taking place. Your presence may be needed there, and to one person may be very welcome. I will keep charge over this man.' As I left the room, I heard Devlin turn the key in the lock. Rapidly I mounted the stairs, and dashed into a room on the first landing, from which the sound of female voices were issuing. Three women were there, two were strangers to me, but even in that agitating moment I correctly divined that they were Mrs. Dowsett and Letitia. The third, who rushed with convulsive sobs into my open arms, was no other than Lizzie Melladew herself. "'Oh, thank God you have come!' she sobbed. "'Thank God! Thank God! Where is Mary? Where is Richard? Take me to them! Oh, take me to them!' Mrs. Dowsett was the first to recover herself. "'You will remain here,' she said sternly to Lizzie, and then addressing me. "'How dare you break into my apartment in this manner?' "'I dare do more than that,' I replied, in a voice sterner than her own and holding the weeping girl close to my heart, "'Prepare you to answer for what has been done. I thank God, indeed, that I have arrived in time, perhaps to prevent another crime. All is discovered.' At these words Mrs. Dowsett shrank back, white and trembling. I did not stop to say more. My first duty was to place Lizzie Melladew in safety. But where? The mental question conveyed its own answer. Where, but in her lover's arms? "'Come,' I said to Lizzie, "'you are safe now. I am going to take you to Richard Carton. Trust yourself to me.' "'I will, I will,' sobbed Lizzie. "'Richard is here, then? How thankful I am, how thankful! And Mary, my dear sister, is she here, too?' I was appalled at this last question. It proved that Lizzie was ignorant of what had occurred. Not daring to answer her, I drew her from the room, and the women I left there made no attempt to prevent me. Swiftly I took my precious charge from the house, and in a very few minutes we were in the carriage which was waiting for me at the foot of the Rue de la Paix. The driver understood the direction I gave him, and we galloped at full speed to the Hôtel de Poilly. Without revealing to Lizzie what I knew, I learnt from her before we reached the hotel sufficient to enlighten me as to Mr. Kenneth Dowsett's proceedings, and to confirm my suspicion that it was Mary Melladew who had met her death at that villain's hands. When Lizzie received the anonymous letter which he wrote to her, she took it to her poor sister, who, fearing some plot, prevailed upon her to let her see the anonymous writer in Lizzie's place and the better to carry out the plan, the sisters changed dresses, and went together to Victoria Park. Being twins, and bearing so close a resemblance to each other, there was little fear of the change being discovered, until at least Mary had ascertained why the meeting was so urgently desired. 
Leaving Lizzie in a secluded part of the park, Mary proceeded to the rendezvous, with what result Mr. Dowsett's confession had already made clear. Discovering the fatal error he had committed, Mr. Dowsett returned to Lizzie, who, while waiting for her sister, had fallen asleep. Being thoroughly unnerved, he decided that there was only one means of safety before him, flight and the concealment of Lizzie Melladew. The idea of a second murder may have occurred to him, but, villain as he was, he had not the courage to carry it out. He had taken from the dead girl's pocket everything it contained, with the exception of a handkerchief which, in his haste, he overlooked, and upon this handkerchief was marked the name of Lizzie Melladew. He could imitate Richard Carton's writing, as was proved by the forgeries he had already committed, and upon the back of this anonymous letter he wrote in pencil a few words in which Lizzie was implored to trust herself implicitly to Mr. Dowsett, and without question to do as he directed. Signing these words in Richard Carton's name, he awoke Lizzie and gave her the note. Alarmed and agitated as the young girl was, and fearing that some great danger threatened her lover, she, with very little hesitation, allowed herself to be persuaded by Mr. Dowsett, and accompanied him home. "'Where is Mary?' she asked. "'With our dear Richard,' replied Mr. Dowsett. "'We shall see them to-morrow, when all will be explained.' At home Mr. Dowsett informed his wife of his peril, and the three females left for Margate by an early train in the morning. In Margate Mrs. Dowsett received telegrams signed Richard Carton, but really sent by her husband, which she showed to Lizzie, and which served in some measure to assist the successful continuation of the scheme by which Lizzie was to be taken out of the country. Meanwhile she was in absolute ignorance of her sister's fate. No newspaper was allowed to reach her hands, nor was she allowed to speak to a soul but Mrs. Dowsett and Letitia. What was eventually to be done with her I cannot say. Probably Mr. Dowsett himself had not been able to make up his mind, which was almost entirely occupied by considerations for his own safety. I did not, of course, learn all this from Lizzie, she being then ignorant of much which I have related, but I have put together what she told me, and what I subsequently learnt from Devlin and other sources. Arriving at the Hôtel de Poilly, I succeeded in conveying Lizzie into a private room, and then I sought Richard Carton. I need not set down here in detail the conversation I had with him. Little by little I made him acquainted with the whole truth. Needless to describe his joy when he heard that his beloved girl was alive and safe, joy tempered with grief at poor Mary's fate. When he was calm enough to be practical, he asked me what was to be done. "'No time must be lost,' I said, in restoring your dear Lizzie to her parents. To you I shall confide her. Leave that monster, your treacherous guardian, to Devlin and me. It was with difficulty I restrained him from rushing to Lizzie, but I insisted that his movements must be definitely decided upon before he saw her. I called in the assistance of the jolly landlady, and she supplied me with a time-table, from which I ascertained that a boat for Dover left at twelve-thirty-one, and that it was timed to reach its destination at three-twenty. There were numerous trains from Dover to London, and Lizzie would be in her parents' arms before night. Carton joyfully acquiesced in this arrangement, and then I took him to his dear girl, and, closing the door upon them, left them to themselves. 
a meeting such as theirs and under such circumstances was sacred while they were together i wrote two letters one to my wife and the other to mr portland which i intended should be delivered by carton i did not intrude upon the happy lovers till the last moment i found them sitting close together quite silent hand clasped in hand her head upon his breast i had cautioned him to say nothing of mary's sad fate and i saw by the expression upon lizzie's face that he had obeyed me after joy would come sorrow there was time enough for that mary had given her life for her sisters the sacrifice would ever be in sacred remembrance i saw them off by the boat they waved their handkerchiefs to me and i thought of the melodies mourning at home to whom at least one dear child would soon be restored when the boat was out of sight i jumped into the carriage and was driven back to the rue de la paix end of chapter twenty nine